Christmas messages are always a bit more difficult to prepare because we all know, we should know the meaning of the Christmas message and, uh, and the message of Jesus Christ. So it's always difficult to, to put these things together because you don't know how much people understand about this moment that we're going to celebrate tomorrow. For some, it's about gifts, giving and receiving, wonderful times with family and eating and drinking and enjoying ourselves. But actually, the reason for the season, other than just being a little sticker that you put on, is actually Jesus Christ. It's the one that we've been speaking about this morning. And um, just a little around 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born into this world. But it wasn't a very ceremonious entrance into the world. It wasn't the way that we would celebrate, let's say, for example, when King Charles and Prince Diana had their child. It was a massive celebration, something that was streamed globally around the world, and they made their little, you know, they made their display out on a balcony for everyone to see. It was a humble beginning. It was a small beginning. And I want to just touch this morning on three aspects of, of the birth of Jesus and how it affects us and how it can be related to our own lives. So I wonder if you could put up Luke 2 verse 7. If you want to read about this, for those of you who might not be people that understand or have, have spent time in the Word, you can read Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. All of the Gospels will talk about it earlier and we'll talk about the birth of Christ. But this is describing what's actually happened. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. It's very interesting. There was no place in the inn for the Savior of the world. So what's actually happening, give you some context of this, there's a census that's been called in Israel, and each man has to go back to the town or the city of their birth, in order to complete the census. So irrespective of the fact that, that Mary is now obviously very, very far pregnant, they undertake this journey back to the town where, where um, Joseph was, was born and raised, and they get there. And tradition would have meant that for some of us who live in Gordons Bay, who live by the sea, we understand what, to a certain degree what this would mean, because in December time, people want to come to our houses because we're by the beach, especially our family and friends that live up in Joburg and Pretoria. They haven't seen the sea for a year. They want to be here. So they're all coming to us, and there's a sense of it's our responsibility to welcome these people into our homes. And it would have been very much the same for Joseph and them in those times. When you came into that town, you would generally still have had some family there, and they would have put you up or offered you shelter, but they didn't have that. There was no family for Joseph and Mary in those times. So your second option would be to look at some sort of public type of accommodation, an inn, or in our terms, perhaps a guest house. But there is this little thing of supply and demand. You don't have to be a business person to understand it, but I'll give you a little bit of insight. If I have the supply, and there is lots of demand, I can start to set my price, and I can start to be quite selective over who I give it to. If this was the very last iPad in existence, or the very last iPad of its type, and a collector of iPads had to come to me and say to me, hey, that's the very last one. I'd love to have that. See, I have, the, I have the supply. He has the demand. And I can say, well, I have 10 others. So I'm going to base my response to him on how much he's willing to offer me. And it would have been very much the same. 
with the census, there would have been droves of people being driven into that area looking for accommodation. And as a result, the innkeeper would no doubt, and I'm using some conjecture, would no doubt have gone, well, how much are you willing to pay? I have a room, but it's going to cost X amount. And perhaps those rooms had all been given out to the high rollers so that by the time Mary and them got there, Mary and Joseph got there, there was actually no space for them. So they ended up going into a stable. And it must take, oh, it must take quite a hard man to turn away like a heavily pregnant woman and her husband and say, no, sorry, I don't have any place for you. But that's exactly what happened. They just weren't deemed important enough to make space for in this innkeeper's life or for anybody else for that matter despite the fact that they were carrying the most important baby in town. And as I was reading it through this, this week, and kind of just thinking to myself, like, what, is that, what does that mean? I thought back to, to my own life, my own life pre-Jesus, where some of you might be. And I was much like that innkeeper. There wasn't really any space for Jesus in my life. It was filled with many, many other things. I just got to Cape Town, I was just trying to start and establish a career in this place. Um, we were married for that stage four years. Had a young child, only had Connor. I was trying to find my way into this area. Finances was an issue. It was really, I had a lot of things happening in my life. And suddenly, where I didn't think I had any hope. Jesus came and was born into my own life. And I found that all of a sudden there was this, this new life that I hadn't known about. There was this new way of living that had entered into my heart. And it's very much the same with Jesus. He came into this world very quietly. Without a lot of fanfare, there was no ceremonies, there was no trumpet soundings for him. He just came in. And I want to ask you, as you sit here this morning, are you, is there space for Jesus in your heart? Has he got a spot in your heart? Even for, the, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, is he, is he part of your life today? Or is he stored away in a manger somewhere, out of sight, just quietly doing what he does while we carry on with our own lives? I really want to pray that this morning as we, as we just work through this time that perhaps for some of us we will open our lives, maybe for the first time. Maybe you're visiting here, you've uh, come to spend some time with your friends and yeah, you just thought, okay, I'll come. I'll be part of, of this. But I want to tell you this morning that God sent his son to offer you the gift of eternal life. It's who he is, it's why he came, it's what we're going to be celebrating tomorrow. And I hope that you will join me later in taking a step out of death and into life. The second point I wanted to raise, if we can go to Luke 2, verse 8 to 10, it's just a little bit later. This is in the same region, there were some shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all of the people. And obviously that's talking about the birth of Jesus. And as again, as I was just reading this message and just thinking about it, I was like, it seems a bit odd. You know, I don't know if you guys uh, 
If you guys remember, some of the younger guys are not going to, you guys won't remember, but some of our older folk. You know when a baby was born back in the day, we'd put like a paid advert in the local newspaper, right? It would be Sean Searle, born to Walter Donald and Eugene Searle, weighing a bouncing 3.9 kgs, was born on this day. We would put out an advert because we wanted people to celebrate with us. We wanted people to be made aware of the fact that this beautiful gift has been given to us. And they wanted them to share in our joy. That's kind of fallen away, and I think we reverted more to something like an Instagram or a, or a Facebook post that will now celebrate. But we still do something of the same. But we'd share it with those that we love, right? We'd share it with those that are around us. We wouldn't just go up to the random guy on the street and go, hey, I'm a father today. He might go, oh, okay, cool. Or he might go, oh, yeah. Just another mouth of the, the overpopulated earth to feed. So we share it with those that we care about, right? So it is interesting for me, as I, as I looked at the, almost this proclamation of Jesus, who the audience was. And it was the shepherds. And I think in the terms of us as the church, we kind of look at shepherds with maybe a little bit more respect because one of the words for an elder is a shepherd. But in those days, in Jewish culture, shepherds were not the guys. In fact, according to Strachan Billabak, they say that shepherds are viewed as unclean and dishonest people according to the standards of the law. They were essentially outcasts, not considered very important at all, except maybe to the sheep when a wolf arrived. So when the news comes, this good news comes to the world, and an angel from heaven arrives, he doesn't take it to the powerful and to the influential, and he takes it to the shepherds, the lowly, the lost, the sinful, the broken, and that's who he proclaims Fear not, for behold, I bring to you the good news of a great joy that will come, that will be for all the people. Isn't that amazing, actually? How does that relate to our own lives? You see, I think the Lord loves to reveal himself to those that are marginalized and forgotten. Those that are not necessarily special or influential, and all of you guys are special. I want to say that you are special to the Lord. But perhaps there's not... 70,000 subscribers on your Instagram profile or 20,000 likes on your Facebook profile. Your family might like you and they know you and they love you, but the rest of the world might look and say, actually, who's Sean Searle? Why is he important? No one knows him. I don't care about him. He doesn't do anything of anything. But the Lord looks down at each and every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, and he says, I want to proclaim my good news to them. The sinners the outcasts, the non-specials. It's a beautiful thing. And from the start, it was so. This is the early moments. Jesus hasn't uttered a word. He hasn't preached a service. He's got nothing. He's just been born. And the angel goes to the sinners of the world and says, take great joy. There's hope that's entered the world. I would, I would have done it differently. I really would have. I would have done it differently. I would have, I would have gone to like the powerful guys and said, hey man, come check what's happening over here. This is the, the joy of the salvation. You know, hey, come in. But the trouble is actually that for, for those who are rich and, and influential and powerful, you see, to a certain degree, there isn't an excitement about that. These men and women are self-sufficient. You see, and it's to a certain degree, and I say this, this is broad strokes, not everybody involved, but to a certain degree, there is no interest or willingness to even hear about them. 
to hear about Jesus, to hear about this great hope, because in this life they have what they want. I've had through, through my, my, um, my work dealings, I've had the opportunity to spend people some time with, with wealthy people. When I'm talking about wealthy people, I'm talking about wealthy people. One of these guys actually bought an English premiership soccer player's home. You can go Google the home. It's on Google. It's like that's how flashy this is. I'll tell you a quick funny story. We had these guys that came over. We took them to the rugby at Newlands, and we arrived in a, one of these minibus taxis. And the guy, this guy that was particularly wealthy, was sitting right by the door. So we stop, and everyone's now wanting to get out. So we're looking at him, waiting for him to grab the little lever and pull it back. And he's looking at the door going. So one of the guys laughs at him and says, you pull that little lever over there. He says, jeez, man, you got all this money and you don't even know how to open up a car door. And the guy says, without breaking a sweat, looks at him and says, oh, I'm so sorry, my Bentley doesn't have one of those. It was a funny moment. It was a funny moment. I, I, I particularly laughed at the guy, kind of moved on. But there was something of even the, simplest, even the simplest truth was beyond understanding for this person because of where they'd got to. And perhaps you're visiting us this morning and actually you're very successful in business and you're a very influential person, maybe the mayor or you're doing something important. And God bless you. God bless your success. God bless what you're doing. But my humble question for you, is are you willing to receive the good news like these shepherds were, despite the position that you might find you, the influence and the power and the, and the authority that you've been given? Are you willing to bow your knee and to humble yourself to a child that was born to be a king, that was born to reconcile you to God? And the third point that I wanted to, to just bring to your attention and have you think with me on, and then I'm going to land on this, it's from Matthew 2, verse 16 to 17. And my point that I want to make here is that when the kings did find out, they wanted to kill Jesus. So we read together. Then Herod, when he saw that it, he saw that it had been tricked by the wise man, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise man. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, which talks about great, great crying, mothers being inconsolable. I don't know. I've, I've tried to do some research, and, and I think it was quite difficult to get exact sources because it's a long time ago. But it looks like it was between a couple of hundred and a couple of thousand children were slaughtered. Boys were slaughtered because Jesus was born. Because he landed on this earth for you and for me. And I want to say to you, it's very similar. It's an, and it's the same thing that's going to happen and has happened in many of our lives. You see, when the birth of Jesus takes place in our hearts, and we start to understand who he is, and the revelation of who he is comes into our hearts, it's amazing. It, something new gets birthed in us, gets woken up in us, and we awaken and there's this brand new life. I remember for me, that I remember the moment that I spoke that prayer of forgiveness and I opened my eyes, I'll never forget this moment. It was like someone had turned on 20,000 new lights. And I still said to the guy that led us to the Lord, I said, why is it so bright? 
I feel like I'm seeing the world differently, and there is something of that. There really is. When Jesus is born in our hearts, our lives change, our views change. We start to see him, and then we start to see ourselves through him. And we see how far we fall from his glory, how far below his grace and his standards we fall. And then we start to become part of the life of the church, and we start to become part of the life of Christ, and actually we start to get sanctified, and we start to get justified, we start to move into different directions. But then something else happens in our hearts, and the kings in our lives become aware of the fact that there's a new king now, and that king wants dominion over all. And all of a sudden, the kings that have been sitting on the thrones of our hearts start to rise up, and they start to try and kill the life of God in your lives. Some of you may have been there. Some of you might be in there right now. You see, whatever's most precious to us is a king. Whatever sits our top priority is a king. It might be your business, might be your children, it might be a sport, it might be even the church. Do you know that the church could be king of your life outside of Christ? There's a large portion of the religious community that goes to church out of some sort of religious commitment but has completely lost Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Lord over that. He gets born into that area. And then what happens is the kings in our lives gather their troops and they go on the attack and they try to snuff out the life of Jesus within us. It's the same thing that happened right there. It happens in our lives all the time. They get unsettled. They realize their time of rulership is short. And then they start to work and they start to slave and they start to, to really go for you. And when someone is born again, it's very much like when Jesus was born. He was vulnerable. In that stage, he was vulnerable. Babies don't come out ready to go to war. They need care and support and love and they need oversight. And then they grow and they get strong and they get nourished and then they can start to defeat those things. It's the same with us. Whether you've been working with the Lord for 50 years or whether you've been walking with the Lord for two months. Jesus wants to be reborn in your lives, even this morning. And he wants to defeat those kings because ultimately he is the only one that is fit to be king. Often these kings in our lives look like they're enjoyable. They look like they're good for us. They promise life, but they deliver death. They fight with relentless ferocity to maintain their positions. And it's only Jesus, it's only the birth of Jesus in our hearts again that can free us from that. So how do we identify these things? How do we identify these kings in our lives? You can have a look at what behaviors or habits do you have in your life that you find yourself gravitating to. And when you're doing it or when you're about to do it, it feels like it's life. It feels like it's going to give you everything that you've needed. It's going to bring you peace and it's going to bring you joy. It's going to help you to cope. For some, it might be alcohol. Yeah, can't wait to get home. I just not have that beer. For some, it might be binge-watching Netflix. And I get through 23 seasons and seven nights. You're spending five hours a day on Netflix. Is Netflix the enemy? No, it's not. Is there a place for it? Maybe. 
But in that five hours, your kids are starved of your, of your love and, and, and support and interaction. It's a king. It's something that's sitting on the throne that needs to be submitted unto God. Perhaps it's a relationship. Perhaps it's an addiction. What's an addiction? Think if I say addiction, most of us will have a picture in our mind of a needle that's getting stuck into an arm and a heroin or something along those lines. But what has dominion over your body that you find very hard to say no to? You see, the whole story of the gospel, the whole reason Jesus Christ was born and the hope that we spoke about and the joy that we sang about was that actually there is freedom for you. There is breakthrough for you across these things in Jesus' name. We can be broken through and Jesus wants to break us through. That's why he came. That is the good news. We all have these kings in our lives, but we can defeat them. And we can do it together by the power of the, of, of the gospel and in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I chose to bring these three things out is because I feel like in this world, you know, it's strange, Tim, was, Tim brought these, these uh, hymns up. And I think we struggled a bit because some of us haven't heard these for years. Am I right? Who else struggled a little bit with them? You're like, oh, I don't remember those words very well. And, and then you're kind of looking at the screen and the screen's a little bit behind. So for the youngsters that are here, you probably have never heard these things other than maybe on YouTube Christmas carols. But for the older ones amongst us, these were staples. These were songs that would have been sung in our homes. We forget and another generation just comes up and not understanding anything. And actually, I want to say to you that perhaps one of these three points is relevant to you this morning. And perhaps the Christmas present that the Lord wants to give you is either he actually wants to save you. He wants to, he wants to fulfill the reason that he was born, which was to actually to take you out of the grasp of the enemy and eternal death. And he's asking, have you got space for me in your heart? So that's my first question to you this morning before we pray. Is there space for Jesus in your heart? Is there space for Jesus in this season? Or have we relegated him to, no, actually, Lord, I'll do some business with you next year. I just need a rest. I'm out. The second question is, do you realize that Christ died for you? Do you realize that the reason we celebrate his birth is because it was for you? He came for you. And he's announcing it today in the presence of everybody to say, Sir and ma'am, my son, my daughter, I was born, I lived and I died so that you may not have to suffer the consequence of your sin. If you will but choose me, I will save you. And finally, I do believe, I honestly do believe that even in this time, the Lord wants to unseat certain kings in our lives. And maybe this morning it's just a case of actually highlighting the fact that maybe I do have some kings in my lives. Maybe there's one or two things that competes with the affections of Christ in me. Can be good things. It's not always the evil things that, that the enemy uses to pull us away. Getting an education, studying hard, working hard, these are not bad things. But we can go beyond that. And it starts to snuff out the life of Christ in our hearts. So I want to ask you, will you go with me on this journey? 
we ask the Lord to start to reveal to you, Lord, what are some of the things that are sitting on the throne that belongs to you? And then we can start as we go through this time. We can pray through it. And then next year, let's, let's start. I want to end the year by building rather than end the year by us just fizzling out. It's saying, let's do some homework. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, what is in me? David said, search me, Lord. Know my ways. Is there something in you that you feel the Lord wants to put his finger on for next year? Can we pray together? Father, I want to thank you for Jesus. It's not cliche to say that Jesus, you are the reason for this season. You are the reason why we celebrate. You are the reason why we have joy. You are the reason why we can pour out our lives for you. But maybe this morning, Lord, there are those that are amongst us here that have never understood the fact that you died for them. They've never understood the fact that actually that there's freedom from the consequence of sin, that there is eternal life, that there's reconciliation with the eternal God. And perhaps even if there's just one person here who's never made a public proclamation, has never made space in their heart for you, Father, I ask by your grace this morning that you would touch that heart. And if you're in this place for the first time, perhaps you think it's just too far, it's just a consequence. I really believe that the Lord has brought every single person that needs to be here this morning here. And if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal, personal, that means yours, not my parents, not my sister, not those that I know, but my personal Lord and Savior, then I want to say to you, it's as easy as confessing a prayer in your heart. We all, all, every single one of us in this place have done it. So I want to invite you, if there's anybody who's never put their faith in Jesus, if there's anybody here who is not 100% sure that if I walk out of this building over the road, get hit by a car and, go to, and, and die, if you're not 100% sure that Jesus Christ is Lord and that your name is written in his Lamb's book of life, then I want to ask you, won't you raise your hand so I can pray with you and let's be sure. There is no greater joy, there is no greater safety, there is no greater security than comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in my own life. So is there anyone, I don't want to rush past this, is there any person here who has never publicly acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? This is your moment. Okay. Then I trust that we're all saved. We will know the Lord and we will all be with him. Praise God for that. Then I just want to ask and I want to pray with us. And perhaps there's a moment for you this morning. Father, would you, would you send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of revelation, the one who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit, would you come and just move through this place right now? And I ask you, would you reveal to us as individuals any kings that are sitting on your throne? Any areas of our lives that have become compromised? Any areas of our lives where we have pushed you off the throne and invited another to sit in your place of authority and rulership? Would you reveal that to us now in Jesus' name? Just come.
feel like for some of us, the Lord is already starting to show us areas where kings have taken up dominion. And I think for some, we're going to have to walk out. But I do believe that actually that there is breakthrough today in prayer for some of us. So I want to ask you to respond. And I'm going to make it just two minutes available to do that. If you felt the Lord put his finger on something in your heart in this moment, I'm not going to ask you to do anything public. I just, other than if you felt the Lord convict you of something, why don't you just pop your hand up for me? Thank you. Thank you. His hand's going up all over the place. The reason I've asked you to raise your hands is that for you that are out there that have perhaps you're feeling some condemnation and heaviness after this preach, thank you, you can put your hands down, guys. And you're thinking, oh, geez, everyone else is so much better than me and I'm so much worse than everybody else. Every one of us has got areas that are not submitted to Christ and we need to work on. So you're not alone. But I also do feel, for those who have responded, that grace is going to come to you this morning and that mighty strongholds are going to be torn, torn down this morning. So for those of you who have raised your hands, I want you just to take a moment and just do some business with God. Just repent. Repent simply means to turn away from. I turn away from that thing. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to. And maybe what we need to do is renounce it. So when we renounce it, so effectively, announce means this is, we're telling about something that is, and renounce is saying, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. So Father, we come to you this morning as brothers and sisters in no, with, with, with no judgment, but with great joy and peace and hope that as we have identified, as you've shown us something sitting on the throne of our own hearts, on the throne of our own lives, Father, I pray that as we, we make that bear, we say, Lord, I, I see it. I see that thing. And as we repent and say, Father, I'm so sorry, please help me. Please help me to unseat that. I don't want any part of it. Maybe if there's a specific aspect, an addiction, a behavior, a habit, just say, in Jesus' name, I renounce this thing. In your own, you don't have to say it out loud. This is a moment between you and the Lord. Father, I renounce this thing. And I'm asking that you will wash it in the blood of Jesus and that I will be delivered and set free. I pray, Lord, that you would take dominion over that area and that your lordship and your rulership would reign over that area. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come and do it by your power. We humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord. We humble ourselves, knowing that we can't do these things in our own strength. But with you, all things are possible. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to leave it there. And I just pray for all of us that as we go into tomorrow's festivities, I want to challenge the fathers. I thought about this this morning. Fathers, I want to challenge you. As your kids are opening up their presents, 
even if it's just a little packet of sweets that you've gotten for them. Won't you take that opportunity to share the true reason for Christmas again? You know, as dads, that's our responsibility, to take that moment as they're opening the gift and go, guys, I just want to let you know, you know, it's not about this gift, eh? It's not about this. It's actually about Jesus who died. And perhaps, who knows, maybe even some of your kids will come into a relationship with the Lord over this time. Let's glorify him. Let's make it about him. Play hymns and, and worship songs and, and celebrate who he is. For those of you who are alone, just know that you are loved. And that even if you might be sitting at home on your own on Christmas Day, which I really hope it's not, I hope someone invites you or you get to go somewhere, but know that Christ is with you and the Holy Spirit is with you and he loves you. And it's not about the gifts and it's not about the company, but it's about him. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful time. There's no meeting next week, remember. Uh, we're meeting again on the 7th. But bless you guys. May the Lord's peace and joy be upon each and every one of you. Love you guys. Bye-bye.